Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Long Island Sound Podcast, where we explore the muse and the music from the North Shore to the South Shore, from New York City to the Hamptons, navigating the wellspring of original music from singer-songwriters and musicians from Long Island, New York. Hi, I'm Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com. Stay tuned as we explore the Long Island Sound. It is difficult to get noticed in the music business. Many things have changed over the years. But when you come across a musician who's an artist, true to their craft and creativity, you're in for something special. Our fantastic guest today is a producer, engineer, composer, arranger, and artist. Nelson Montana is hard to pin down to any narrow genre. From concert halls to studio work to Broadway plays, there's much to unpack. Let's listen to what's ahead in this episode of the Long Island Sound.
Hey, the dictionary defines eclectic as deriving ideas, style, or taste from a broad, diverse range of sources. You know, this came to my mind in researching today's guest. He's an arranger, composer, bassist, multi-instrumentalist, vocalist, producer, engineer. Man, that's a mouthful. He traveled many musical roads from rock to jazz to funk and country. He's been featured in both Modern Drummer Magazine and Bass Player Magazine. And recently, he's also featured in the new book, From the Record, along music industry legends Robin Gibb, Neil Sedaka, and Kelly Rowland. I've got a feeling there's plenty to learn from Nelson Montana. Welcome to the Long Island Sound Podcast, Nelson. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I, I got to tell my audience, I, I've I've spoken to you know many interesting musicians. You could be, and and I said this to your friend um, Joe Pickett, who referred me to you. You know, I said, I said, Joe, you've got such a background, you could be three episodes. You know, and not to be in competition, you could be, you could be ten episodes because you've got. <laughs> you've All got, right, well, let's do nine more then. Let's, let's do nine more. We'll see how this goes. But it's 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 really interesting. So we just heard one of your songs. We're going to play a couple of of your original tunes, but what really kind of strikes me is the environment that you grew up in and, you know, when did you pick up an instrument? What kind of influences did you have with family? Um, I'm always curious about it because it's always different from person to person. It, it is different for everyone. Um, I, I was interested in music very young, but I was a bit of a late starter and a late bloomer. Hmm. Um, I begged my parents for a guitar when I was about 12 years old. Um, my brother got piano lessons, but this was sort of that generation where the older, per, the older child gets all the benefits. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm with you. I'm right? with you. And then, Happened to me. Yeah. And the rest get the, the, the hand-me-downs. So he played piano and had really no interest in it. And I, I wanted to play guitar. So eventually what happened was, um, I, um, I was I'm very interested in, uh, in, in fitness. I, um, I, I did that for a while and I started very young and I was helped training some people when I was a young man mm. and one of the kids had a drum set and I just got behind it and I said, I want to do this. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. um, you know, my parents were going through a divorce and I think it was a good chance for my mom to say like, here you go, do this. <laughs> Keep annoy, this annoy the crap out of your dad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, the, the, once he was gone and she wanted to go live her life, it was like, right. okay, you, you have something to do. And that was it. I just decided right then and there, I was never really great at school. I was never really uh, good at sports. And I thought that this is something I'm just going to be as, as the best I can be. You know, it's funny you, you say that about, uh, you know, older siblings, you know, I, I got roped into one, my sister, uh, we come from a Polish family. Mom's was Polish. And, uh, so she tried to coerce my, uh, sister to play the accordion you know so she could play it dances and she's like god ah, she did that for like two weeks and then it was <laughs> then it was piano and it's like okay let's split the uh, piano lesson between uh you know you and your sister you each get a half hour so we get the most bang for your buck it was the most awkward thing and i felt so tolerable <laughs> for my my piano teacher because it was just just horrible i had to sit and listen to my sister play and i was like i was torturous it was torturous <laughs> <laughs> well I, I think a lot of um you know I, I've known obviously thousands of musicians and so many of them have parents who are either in the field or the business, they had some background. That's a tremendous advantage. If your parents aren't coming from that, if they're just working folk, they really wouldn't know what to do. An instrument is just a toy to them, especially back then. You don't make money from it. Right. It's a distraction. Yeah. It's just a distraction. It's just a hobby. And, uh, but for me, I felt like that was my calling. I, I was actually started. I was an art major and I was going mm -hmm. to, I thought that's what I would wind up doing. But once the the music came in, that was it for me. I just um, I just fell in love with it. Wow. Now, where'd you, where'd you grow up? If, if you don't know me. Uh, born in Brooklyn. Grew up on Long Island. Okay. Um, always wanted to live to uh, live in Manhattan, and then once my son went to college, that's what I did. I moved to Manhattan. I've been there ever since. That's great. Yeah, I actually have friends of mine who moved from Long Island into Manhattan. It's just it's good to be yeah. in a real active active area now my my daughter's looking to move into brooklyn because that's the coolest place on that's, earth that's now. The new manhattan yeah yeah that's that's the coolest place on earth so mom uh so mom and dad musicians uh any other siblings no no the, um uh it's funny you learn uh, as i'm sure you realize as you get older in life you realize the traits you picked up from your parents and i know that i picked up some of my traits which has helped me in my music but neither one of them were musical oh interesting uh, yeah so um 
So, so know, how, did, how did they kick it? So I'm, I'm jumping on your words. So I apologize. Yeah, go ahead. So how did so you you find this drum set right and you go wow this is it you get the itch and and there you are in the drums where did it progress from there as far as uh, getting out in front of people or getting a band and you know how old were you that sort of thing you said you started well, late you know so what I is started late well I'm fifteen which is considered late yeah um I well I I got good quick so uh, okay. You know, I, I just started joining bands, whatever bands I could play with. It was a very different vibe back then. I mean, I don't want to take my perspective and, and enforce that on young people, but I do think it is a different world for them right now. I mean, back then, I've often said that music in general was, was far more precious because, mm. uh, well, you couldn't get – now all music is available for free. So it's back well, then, yeah, you, yeah. You, bought that, you bought that album and you cherished it and you listened to it a thousand times and you had your friends check it out and maybe you recorded it for them. So, you know, getting into music, every club needed bands. And I knew that if I could, if I got good enough where I could get into a band, I could start making money at it. But I quickly wanted to sort of go beyond that. I didn't want to just, you know, some guys, they just want to be in that bar band and get the girls and make a few bucks. And that's great. Sure. But uh, I was always thinking beyond that. I always wanted to do. do well, you know, what? You, you bring up a good topic because. You know, music, music is everywhere as far as one, you don't get paid for music unless you get it on the soundtrack. Not anymore, or, no. <laughs> or yeah, or if you're if you're um you're playing live and getting paid to do that. But yeah, you know, I had the same experience as well where, you know, I, I had older sisters, so you know, you you grab their albums when they didn't lock the bedroom and, and you'd and you'd really get into it. You would I'm telling you, if you played it twice, you played it thirty times. And yeah. you re- and you really it really got in your head, maybe because you didn't really have any other choices, you know? And, made choice. and, and the music yeah. was made for people to make that an experience. You sat down, you listened to it, you absorbed it. Now, I mean, I find myself, um, I do it myself, where my attention span has shortened. I'll put yeah. something on for a few seconds, and what's next? And there's always some more. When you only have those handful of albums, they're a treasure. And you get into them, and you absorb them. And... Um, it's funny, I was reading something recently with Jeff Beck was saying that when he was growing up, he had like three records or something. Okay. And he deciphered those records to the point where not only did he learn everything that was going on, but you start hearing things that aren't even there. <laughs> <laughs> and through that, you develop a personality. Uh, today, because so much is available, I find a lot of people, a lot of young guys and, and girls, um, they have a tremendous technique, but not a whole lot of personality in their playing. Right. So yeah, I follow you. Thing. Yeah, you know what? It's it's interesting, and I'm reminiscing here. Is 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 playing that album with your buddies? You know, there's yeah. that sh- there's that shared experience to to really kind of do a dive into it. And now you have this cornucopia of stuff. Um, how do you, how do you connect to your friends? And you know, unless you're at a concert or something. You know, I remember talking to a couple, and I said, "What really grabbed you about him?" Well, we both like this particular artist, so there, I knew there was something special about him. I said, "Wow, that, that's that's pretty cool." Yeah. You know, and then you throw COVID on top of it over the past couple of years. So we all got isolated. Uh, yes. People got really, um, really creative in a lot of ways. And I think about this and I'm kind of yapping too much. So I apologize because I always do that is I, I keep on thinking about Spotify and, and, you know, everything where, you know, you can produce something on your iPhone basically and, and get it, get it up uh, in the airwaves, so to speak, or, or to be a, a a, uh, you know, out in the desert with it, I guess. Um, but, you know, where do you, where do you go from there? You know, when it, when it comes to that, you know, it's, I, I lost well, my train of thought, you know, the interesting thing about all the, um, what's available is that, um, it does allow people to be able to, I mean, anybody can make a record, anybody can write a book, but that again, makes it less precious. One thing that the record companies did is they set a gauge. So if they released maybe 10 albums, maybe two or three were in a style you like, that was the gauge. And people judged by that. They were the ones who said, this is what's good. Now we know that there's talent all over the place. The problem is, if everybody and their brother is releasing an album, again, it it waters everything down. It makes it less precious. It gets harder, um, more difficult for people to listen to you. When CD Baby first came along, you're familiar with them. Oh, sure. this is great. You know, this is going to be for, you know, independent artists, but nobody was going to see the baby to hear music they never heard of. 
Right. You know, and, and so it really didn't pan out the way we all thought. So right now we're, we're kind of um, we're in a little bit of a limbo, I think. It's, it's uncertain where it's going, although there's enough evidence to suggest that it's, it's not a great place. Right. You notice it's so musical tastes of what you enjoy is, is very uh, selective, obviously, you know, for each each one's ear. And I, I, I read your article that you did at the Huffington Post on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and, and I thought you, 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 you pulled out a really interesting idea where you were you, statement saying, you know, hey, Madison Avenue, you know, who are these label executives that are going to decide that this is good shit? You know, and and what is it? It's the almighty dollar and it's marketable and this and and you get into the boy bands and this whole, you know, corporate uh, structured, even even down to the television shows, you know, uh, you know, there's great talent out there, but you got to fit a certain mold. You know, that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, there's room for everyone. There's always been that stuff. Uh, I think it's great when, you know, kids have their music and everybody has their music. If you look at the uh, Billboard playlist from like 1970, mm-hmm. you know, you had songs by rock bands. You had songs by Dean Martin. You know, something by James Brown. You know, something by a country artist. It was just this, this cornucopia of music. And today, um, that just doesn't exist. And the thing about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame I don't get is like, I really don't need these executives, these suits telling me that, you know, John Lennon is valid. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's it's just absurd. And it's it's not even rock and roll. And I, I, I'm just not one for awards. And, and I think it's kind of silly when an industry gives awards to itself, as we've witnessed just recently with the whole academy. All right. But, um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think, is especially egregious because they they don't even know what they're doing. And, um, and and everybody's concerned who gets in and who doesn't. And I'm like, I, I, I don't care. I don't care either way. I know yeah. who I like. I know who I don't. I, I, I heard, uh, I, I listened to John Baptiste's um, acceptance speech. And I want I just want to read this quote because it ties into what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, in his acceptance speech, he said, I believe to my core, there's no best musician, best artist, best dancer, best actor. The creative arts are subjective and they reach people at a point in their lives when they need it most. It's like a song or an album is made, and it's almost like it has radar to find the person when they need it the most. And, you know, we're just meeting now on on this podcast, which I always find kind of interesting, is, you know, the fact that you've done so many different things, and, and I said this a bit in the introduction from jazz, and we're, we're, I'd like to go deeper into that. I think it's phenomenal when you're not class quote classified, you know, uh, or it even it's a pet peeve of mine when they, they say, "Oh, she's crossed over to this or that." It's like you did two things, yeah. yeah oh, wow, she can yeah. juggle, you know. It's it's well, hey, I'm. I love when people say, "Oh, and they can act." I'm like, well, you know, I've, I've been arguing with because I did a little acting. I'm like, acting, acting is just lying. Yeah, it's, well, I'm in, I'm in sales. I act I act all day long. Yeah, have to act exactly. I got to pretend I like my customers, you know. Uh. <laughs> I know my customers aren't listening to this, so it's, but it's so, true. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I I just find this a more interesting life to do a lot of things. It's It doesn't make it harder to market oneself, though, because people mm-hmm. want to pigeonhole you. People want to know you're this. Even as a multi-instrumentalist, uh, that would throw people. Like, oh, oh, he's a singer. He's not a bass player. But no, no, he's a bass player. Oh, he's, 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 he's not a drummer. He's so they they want you to be one thing. It just makes people comfortable to know when I need this, I'll get that guy. So they tend to see people who do a lot of things as a jack of all trade, master of none, mm-hmm. and uh, or, or you're say? you're a utility guy. Yeah, well, I'm a master of several. I mean, what am I going to say? <laughs> you know, it's it's this mindset, and I, I I'm kind of at the age now where it's just like. I'm not, I'm not struggling for that big break. I'm not trying to fight my way up against, you know, 25 year olds because they need their time and, and let them have it. I'm comfortable in my skin doing a lot of things. It's far more interesting for them. Yeah. And that, that skin, I think that comes with age too. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, in that, you know, I am who I am, you know, the old Popeye thing. I am who I am. And, and, uh, and this is what I like, you know, Hey, why don't yeah. we do this? Why don't we just take a quick break? And when we come back, I really want to talk about, what other artists influenced you? And I know you've had some interesting, you know, training along the way. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, Steve Yusko from Gig Destiny here. 
Well, as you're probably listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking about that musician who would make a fantastic guest here on the Long Island Sound. Well, we'd like to hear their story. We'd like to hear their music. So have them reach out to us at gigdestiny.com and we'll explore their craft. Now, back to our podcast. And we're back, everybody, with Nelson Montana. Nelson, what I'm interested in, you know, who who were your who were the artists that were an early influence on you in your career? Um, well, in terms of who I listened to, you know, I, I grew up on AM radio, like most people uh, our age. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the hits. And it's funny, as I progressed as a musician, I started to look at that stuff as very sort of lightweight. Uh, you know, it's just ear candy. And now that I'm older, I've kind of come around to realize that there are some very tuneful <laughs> songs, very, you know, great material, great arrangements. And mm-hmm. uh, so I've got a, sort of a newfound love for that. So I, I, I kind of started out, again, with the, with the mix. I, I like pop music, but I, when I discovered jazz, I fell in love with that. And then just as a musician, I felt it was important to know as much about all types of music as possible. So I studied classical. I went to Manhattan School of Music. Uh, and I studied with Elvin Jones, who was the drummer for John Coltrane. Mm. And um, it, it's amazing that, uh, again, in retrospect, I realized that I was hanging out with this legend. And But at the time, you know, when you're young, you, you don't... Right, he's just another, he's another yeah, drum teacher, right? Yeah. Day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what, so. What's interesting is, is you know, also those drummers or, or people who have honed their craft for years on a particular instrument, and I was just talking to a buddy of mine. He's he's been a, a drummer in cover bands for thirty years, and he told me a guy named Rob Bell. He says, "Yeah, I'm taking drum lessons." And his wife's like, "But you know, you know how to drum." Yeah, but I I gotta get in my best practices again. And and if you're open to learning, man, there's I think that's great. You know, there's a lot of humility in that as well. You know, it, there's always something to learn. I um I kind of uh, came to a. Um... A, a bit of a dead end in terms of uh, developing skill. I mean, I wanted to be the greatest drummer in the world when I did that. And, you mm-hmm. know, I got to be pretty good. And then I remember um, going to a Bill Bruford uh, clinic. I don't know if who Bill Bruford is. He was the uh, drummer for uh, Yes and King Crimson. And, okay. um, and he said a true artist doesn't just rely on his skills and demonstrate it to an audience over and over. He keeps expanding and growing. Mm. And I was fiddling around with the bass and enjoying it. And I thought, what if I were actually make that the instrument where I wanted to be the best of the world? Okay. <laughs> and that's what I was doing. I was doing gigs. I was coming home from my, I was taking my bass on gigs where I play drums and practicing on the, ba- on the breaks. And then when I got home, I would practice until the sun came up. Wow. And I just did that. And then I thought, can I actually make a living out of this? And I went out and got my ass kicked. And, but... The more I did it, the better I got. And then I just decided that was like the bass was like my mistress. So the, the drums were the wife. Sure. It's, the rhythm, it's the rhythm section, right? So, yeah. If you, if you I, got... I fell in love with the mistress and I just, um, no turning back. But the drums, um, drummers might hate me for saying this. It's a bit like riding a bicycle. You always have, I mean, I may not have the speed or some of the real top 10% facility that I had when I was practicing all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many ways, I'm a better drummer because I hear the music more completely than when I was just focused on drumming. Right. So I tell, I told, I still give drum lessons. I tell drummers, play another instrument, listen to, you know, try to listen more to music instead of just drums. Musicians in general have a tendency to do that. They tend to see music in regard to their their instrument, but to think in terms of your instrument and where it fits with all the other instruments. Yeah, I remember when uh, they were talking to Charlie, the late Charlie Watts, you know, about you know, how he labeled himself in the Rolling Stones. And he's like, I'm the drummer. I'm there to keep good time. Yeah, and, he was, <laughs> and he was, and he wasn't about the big fills and the big solos and that sort of thing. He was yeah. like, this is the job I have to do. And and that's not disparaging other, other drummers like Neil Peart, you know, who, who orchestrate and do this phenomenal thing. Doing his job as well. <laughs> doing, doing his job as well. And he's another guy who went back for, for lessons, uh, I, I believe later in his career too. So it was, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a funny uh, quote I was reading that he took a year off to learn jazz. The, the funny thing about Neil Peart, I don't want to get too technical here, but... No, no, please. He's Well, he's a very, very solid drummer, incredibly solid. He plays like a machine. His fills are very even and, and almost quantized. 
but he's not really a swing drummer. He, the swing requires a certain looseness. And he didn't have that. He knew he didn't have that, which I, I had a lot of respect for him. And he wanted to learn that. He actually did some things with the Buddy Rich Big Band. Mm. People criticized him before because it wasn't his style. But I give him credit for trying that. But anyway, he studied jazz for a year and he took a year off. And then he got back with the band and he asked Getty Lee, well, what do you think? Because he felt his entire approach was different. And Getty said, you sound like you. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that there's that as well i mean we all are what we are and um you know i've always believed you know strengthen your weaknesses but accentuate your strengths you know because we all have that personality and um you know you, you're better off trying to do that instead of trying to be something you're not right exactly so so you you went from drums and bass and you said you're a multi-instrumentalist so what was yeah. what was the next thing you jumped to um, well, uh, I started playing a piano with my brothers <laughs> and I taught myself, um, and I play completely incorrectly. I play all the wrong fingering. I've tried it years later to correct it and learn correct fingering. And I just couldn't do it. So I just said, screw it. I'm playing wrong. I'll, I'll make music that way. Right. Right. And, um, and the guitar was close enough to the bass where I started playing that. And then I did a album with the uh, whole old guitar instrumentals. And that actually got some pretty good critical reviews. And I thought, like, maybe I could do this, too. And then from there, you know, all, any pretty much any string instrument becomes familiar. I did some things with ukulele, some things with mandolin. And, and you know, it just sort of goes from there. It's, right, a, it's right. just a matter of making – you don't have to be a virtuoso on everything to make music. Right, right. You can you can jump. You can be the bridge from one to the next. I mean, how many guitar players uh, become bass players just because? Hey, we need a bass player. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, that <laughs> happened. The that, thing, that, yeah. that happened to me in the church band. It's like, all right, you're not that good of a guitarist. They never said that, but I knew they were <laughs> saying that. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Oh man, I got a gig. <laughs> so you're also you're also a producer, and you you do studio work and stuff like that. So just give me give me kind of a broad sense of. What do you do? You know? well, well, right now, I, I don't gig as much as I used to. I mean, that's a topic in itself. I mean, the mm. way the um, – that's one of the things I mentioned in this book that um, I was in, how the music industry has changed over the last 30, 40 years. Um, you know, I talk about how when I started out, I would go to work on a Wednesday night and there'd be a line down the block to get into the club because mm -hmm. a good band was playing. That doesn't exist. Maybe there's a line to hear a good DJ. I don't know, but – it's, yeah. it's, a different, it's a different reality. And um, I, I just got burnt out on the gig scene. I, um, it's a lot know, of work. I, it's a lot of work just getting the gig. It's getting the gig. And I also, my priorities were, were high. I didn't want to go to work and just be a hack or play with hacks. I don't want to sound snobbish. No, no, I understand. But, um, you know, when I go out, I wanted to really sound good. So I, I turned to recording because that was an opportunity to um, do things my way and also to have something to show for it. I mean, I've played so many gigs where, you know, the music's gone. It goes off into the air and that's the end of it. Sure. And what do you have to show for it? But with recording, it's like, well, this is something I did. This is something I did. So the, I just wanted to devote my time to that. And I have clients where I produce them and record them, engineer them. Sometimes I'll play bass with drums on their recordings. And I love that. I love seeing somebody's, they can have a germ of an idea and see, see it turn into a song. And, right. um, you know, they get a kick out of it. I get a kick out of it. So that, that's what I'm enjoying. These yeah. Days. You know, what's nice about that is it's a true uh, collaborative uh, atmosphere um, where you can bring your knowledge of, Oh, you know, it's particularly when it comes when, when I saw, you know, uh, that you're an arranger as well, man, what an important role that plays in a song that can really turn it into something very memorable and, and very deep, you know, and, uh, you know, where do you get that stuff from? You know, you have to be with a good producer and, and the fact that you're a, um, a producer who plays <laughs> as well, you know, that's, that, that is key, you know, and, uh, well, yeah. And, um, Again, I don't want to be disparaging to people, but there are a lot of producers around who are pretty much button pushers. <laughs> well, you want to name them because that would really kind of boost the <laughs> downloads if we start naming people. And we no, <laughs> no I, I think that the, I'm, I'm old school. I, the old timers, they were conductors and arrangers and, and you know, 
they studied orchestration. And it, it, it's fascinating because years ago, I thought orchestration is the ultimate. But, mm. um, you know, but today, now with computers, I have an orchestra. There it is. It's right there on my computer. Right. right. So that, feel- that changed everything. Yeah, it's it's at it's at your fingertips, you know. Right there, and uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, the Shags album I have this album reconstructing the music of the Shags. Who, for anyone in the audience doesn't know, the Shags are known for being the worst group that ever made a record. <laughs> and I can attest to it because I listened to it, and my daughter before was like, "My God, is that, is that our nieces playing?" It was. I mean, it's beyond horrid. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing. And Frank Zappa said he loved them, of course, because he loves. Of course. Music. And Kurt Cobain also. Well, really? what was interesting is somebody said, as you were saying, to your point, where arrangement is so important, somebody said, I said that performance and arrangement is 90% of what makes a good song. And someone said to me, a fellow engineer said, well, arrange a Shag song. And I was like, okay. Challenge <laughs> accepted, right? And I, I accepted the challenge. And it's funny with the creative process, there comes a point where you're working at something and then it's like, it's going to work. When you know that it's going to work out and what was interesting about doing the shags record is it's it's such a mess that i was straightening everything out and then at one point i decided well you know let's leave that measure with a missing beat let's it's almost sounds like prog rock you know let's <laughs> let's do this and when i was done with it i i, I thought it was I said, this is pretty good <laughs> and then i i just went crazy the muse came and i i did the entire album and that, that, that's amazing you know because we're gonna we're gonna plug that in we'll take a break in a minute I'm not going to play, uh, I'm not going to, you know, jump on the, the, the original shags, but there'll be a link to it in, in this chapter. So uh, 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 you can form your own opinions audience out there, but it's, it's def it's definitely a trip. So why don't we just take a break? We're gonna, what's the name of this? Uh, give me a, one of the songs that you, you would say we should uh, pull from your remake of the shags. Uh, well, they actually have a semi hit called my pal foot foot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, and uh, and there's another song I think is a, actually a very beautiful song called uh, um, "Things I Wonder." Oh and, yes, yes, uh, yes. I think it's really pretty, but you know their version is a mess. So I, I helped them out. All right, so we're, we're going to take a break. We're going to have everybody to uh, listen to "Things I Wonder." I'll have the link for the other version <laughs> in, in the chapter list. And uh, hey, everybody, have a listen, and we'll be.
Hey, everybody, we're back. Hey, that was really great listening to your version of the Shags. And I'm telling you, when people go to that link and hear the other Shags song, they think this is going to blow their mind, you know. So uh, really cool. They're really cool stuff. So let's so I we were talking uh, during the song and uh, the research that I do on my guests. Yeah, you know, I'm looking up images and what have you, because these images I'll put up on the chapter marks and I see this bodybuilder named Nelson Montana. I'm like, no way. <laughs> this can't be the guy that I'm going to be my guest tonight. Sure enough, it is Nelson Montana. So t- tell us. <laughs> Tell us about that, and I want to comment on some things that kind of are a crossover. All right. Well, um, yeah, I was a scrawny little kid, and uh, I think it's a different world now. A lot of big guys get into body. I'm not a big guy, but, um, you know, I I had that image. I was it's, it's the Charles Atlas ad of the scrawny guy who wants to get big. Get yeah, at the beach. The nose and and get the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, I, and I bought into that. I um, And... Um, it's funny because the guy who um, I learned drums from wanted to learn how to, you know, lift weights. And uh, well, we were talking about this earlier, but I, I think the dedication that it took uh, to bodybuild uh, did transfer over to music. It was funny. Um, someone was asking uh, John Cameron. Um, is it John Cameron? The director? Who am I thinking of? Yes. Yep. John Cameron. Um, who's favorite actor to work with? And he said Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they're like, really? Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Why? He goes, because he's going to give me 100% on the first take and the 500th take. Because he had that mentality. You just go and go and go and you you give it your all every time. That's the bodybuilding mentality. You really want to take something to the next level. That's what you have to do. And I took that approach to drums and it worked with drums because they're very physical. Yeah. Yep. So if I had to just work on something, I would do it until I ate and I just keep going. And um, I think that made me a better drummer. But again, I realized that there's more to music than just technique. But as I was playing music and hearing music and growing musically, that's when I decided I need to do something that's more than just physical. And that was the shift over to the other instruments. Yeah, so it is that that dedication. I remember um, my guitar teacher, he used a term I wasn't familiar with. He goes, uh, I guess you didn't woodshed that exercise and i'm like woodshed he goes, yeah because this <laughs> no, is when you lock woodshed. yourself in the shed and right. you keep on doing it like you said till the morning hours till you to get it right and there's, yeah. there's a certain dedication because it ain't easy you know it ain't no. easy. it ain't easy doing that f chord for the first time on a guitar <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a tough one <laughs> f's a tough but you get it down hey i got it down you know yeah. and then what what do you mean you can play that on different parts of the neck you know that's the next thing you learn <laughs> So, oh, so endless. I mean, music really is endless. And, you know, there are people who devote themselves just to, you know, the academia of it. But um, which I enjoy as well. But, you know, there's it's so multifaceted. There's so much to it. There are so many different ways you can go. And and the studio for me is essentially an, an instrument in itself, which is what I really enjoy. Right, right. And, and you know what, there is a certain art to that and great influence in the collaboration that we were talking about earlier that um, uh, is a great sandbox to play in, I would think, you know, oh, uh, when I see my buddy who has, has a similar uh, position with you as far as a, a studio producer, you know, he, he always stops. Hey, I'm working on this. I want you to listen to this. You know, it's it's like he just baked a cake or something, you know, it's, uh, or gave birth. Yeah, yeah, right. In some cases gave birth. Hey, let's reel back a little bit. I, I had read about um, it was kind of like a funky group, uh, the popular science thing. Tell me a bit yeah. about that. That was like your first like known celebrities recorded yes oh okay uh, um yeah i had already been working uh, prior to that for for quite a while i was working steadily i was underage in the clubs and this is back when um the drinking age was 18 and i was maybe 16 years old and playing the clubs and then in 1981 i believe uh probably i'm dating myself here uh yeah got a record contract a small record company and uh, it was an interesting group. It was very sort of avant-garde. It was kind of c- combining prog rock with um, experimental, with new wave. I think maybe because it was sort of all over the place. <laughs> it was a little too all over the place. But um, 
it, it was a lot of fun. And, and and you look at everything as sort of a stepping stone to the next stage. Sure. Well, it was interesting when I when I I, I listened to the, the one of their songs on YouTube that you did, and the, the first guy that came to my mind, particularly with your voice, I don't know if you've heard this before, is Frank Zappa. It was just uh, something at the tonality of your singing that you know reminded me of uh, you know Joe's Garage and the album I listened to in nineteen eighty. Copied uh, Zappa's singing style, but no, I just just something that kind of popped into my mind. I mean, I listened to Down in Joe's Garage like four thousand times in my first year <laughs> of college, and that's why I only had one year in college. <laughs> <laughs> but talk about an avant-garde player, you know. You know, he was playing a literally playing a bicycle on on uh, you know uh, uh, tonight Steve show. Allen show. Yeah, Steve yeah. Allen show. It's a great. That's well, great he 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 is part kook. I mean, that's that's part of his thing. Yeah. Well, well, aren't all musicians got a little kookiness in them? Um, not not all. Know. Yeah, you know, people like again, it's like <laughs> the um the concept of the tortured artist or somebody. Somebody could be a real ass, and they're like, "Oh, well, he's a creative person." I'm like, "Don't give me that." <laughs> he's uh, just an ass. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's maybe, maybe not. You know, it's just you don't have to be. It doesn't make you an ass. <laughs> he's I, an I, ass who just happens to know how to play an instrument. <laughs> maybe the greatest musician who ever lived is is Bach, and they never made a movie of his life, and you wonder why. Hmm. He had a very normal life. He had married, he had lots of kids, he had a gig. You know? Right. You know, he wasn't one of these tortured artists who, you know. Uh, right. He didn't make it for a good uh, screenplay, right? Yeah, it's not interesting. He's just he's just the most amazing musician who ever lived. So, so, uh, so your life your life is that of of a musician in everything that you've done, you know. From uh, well, I, I look at myself. Somebody once asked me, "Do you think you're a better uh, bassist or drummer?" And I said, I don't even know. I don't even know if I consider myself a musician. I, I think I consider myself an artist. Okay. I think that um, I got good on um, certain instruments because of that mentality of just the stick to itness. You just if you practice enough, you'll get proficient. If it's anybody. I I, I tell a story that um, like a band like Kiss, they don't regard themselves as great musicians. But there's one little lick that happens on uh, one of their songs that it turned out was played by their producer and because G uh, Gene Simmons couldn't play it. And if you look at the videos of them in the early years, he couldn't play that lick. And then you listen to the videos of now and he's playing it. Why is he doing it now? Because he's been doing something for 50 years and you get <laughs> right. better. You know, so I look at it like that. I think the technical part is something that I just work towards. But in terms of my musical approach, you know, again, I was not a prodigy. I didn't, you know, I wasn't born with perfect pitch. It's just um, I apply my artistic sense to music. And then by combining the two, hopefully things come out good. All right, so let's, let's talk. You've written songs. You're a songwriter. How does, I'm curious, how the, do you sit down and say, hey, I'm going to write something? Does the muse come into you and you act on it? Is it all of that? I mean, where? How has the yeah. music struck you, and and how have, how has it gone from a germ of an idea to a complete song for you? It could be one of two things. Um, I'll, I'll say this: if if it were like the old days of the Brill Building, if somebody said to me, "Nelson, we need two songs a week," I could write two songs a week because mm. it, it becomes a formula after a while. Okay, uh, but in terms of true inspiration, you never know really where that's coming. I. Um, when my granddaughter was born, I thought, oh, let me write a little song, like a nursery rhyme type of song. It wasn't like, oh, I'm so inspired, you know. It was really just a, a throwaway thing. And then as I'm writing it, it just wound up going in places I didn't expect. And and I jotted the words down real quickly. And then when I went to sing it, I was getting choked up <laughs> at, my, at my own words. Right. The creative process was one thing, and then the performance was another so I would say that's an inspired piece of work, but it wasn't, but I didn't approach it that way. I didn't think, oh, I'm really inspired, so now I'm going to do this. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, this last song I wrote, uh, the song from the jazz album, uh, Left Turn, uh, a tradition called The One That Got Away. I was just walking down the street and I, I started singing that. Really? Because, well, people, um, I was talking to a, a fellow jazz composer and I say, I like to write the hook first. If I get a catchy hook, I'll write a song around it. Mm -hmm. She said, well, jazz doesn't really have hooks. And I'm like, well, those old standards were all show tunes. They were catchy. And I started like, you know, the one that got away. And I said, there must be a song with that title. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked up and I'm like, 
there isn't. So I, I guess I have to write one. And that was it. I literally was walking down the street and I put the phone on and I recorded the first line. I'm like, that'll work. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, when what what touched me is you see sometimes when you've written something, uh, you get choked up about it and you know it's good. That happens to me with with poetry. I'm driven more, um, maybe it's a male thing, I don't know, by imagery, you know, images, uh, mm. in the morning yet, and and that that's where the muse will come to me and I'll write it down or, or if it's an event that caught my passion that I write about it and then I put it in prose and, and um, you know, you know, it's good if it hits you, it hits you in the soul, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. when you go, but I'd like, yeah. I'd, I'd like to, um, we can cue up that song, right. Uh, that you just spoke about sure, the one sure. that got away. All right. So why don't we do that? We're going to cue up the song. It's called the one, the one that got away. We got away yeah. And uh, I, 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 I have listened to this and I really did enjoy it. So okay. hey, everybody stick with us. You're, you're in for a real treat and we'll be right back. It's been such a long time Since you've been gone Now I'm alone With just the memory of you It feels like ages But now it's time to turn the pages There's nothing else that I can do A girl for me Like the one who used to be The one I thought would never stray But she's the one that got away We had a love affair So debonair We paint the town without a care I assumed that she'd always be there But she's the one that got away I never told her I loved her I never did what I should Then along came a lot to love her Swept her off her feet Now she's gone for good There's a list of the things I miss Her warm embrace and her tender kiss But it's in the past Or so they say She's the one that got away Acapulco town She works two jobs and gain 50 pounds And her husband Jose Siesta's all day And at night he still runs around So it seems the girl of my dreams Isn't half as hot as she used to be I've turned the tide Love was on my side Cause I'm the one that got away Yes, I'm the one Welcome back, everybody. Hey, that was that was just a, a really great, beautiful song. So thanks for uh, letting us play that. It was cool. So you've been around for a little while. Tell us about some of the interesting places that you played, any memorable gigs and stuff like that. What have you got planned for the future? Well, in terms of gigs, uh, well, the thing about being a New York musician is um, – you're among the best of the best. I, I was never really interested in going out on the road. I did that a little bit, mm -hmm. but I always thought that New York was the place to be. Um, I did want to break into the New York uh, studio scene for a while, but um, I had a son very early, and um, I never want to say, oh, because of that, I couldn't do this better. <laughs> right. But um, it was their priorities. I, I had to make a living. And I was a musician. I had to make a living as a musician. So mm -hmm. it was whatever I could do. Um, so, uh, but I mean, I've played, um, you know, concert halls and even, you know, like the old Waldorf story. I mean, everybody from Fr Frank Sinatra to the James Gang played there. 
And uh, but for me, the, the memorable gig is the gig where um, where there's the magic, yeah. where the band is just cooking and the audience is into it and the sound is good and yeah, you familiar with the movie The Hustler? Have you seen oh, that sure. with yeah. Okay. With, with Paul Newman. He says, "I got a feeling, Fat Man. I got a feeling I can't miss." Mm. And full game in that movie is a metaphor for a man's purpose. And music could be like that. Sometimes it's just like, I can't play a wrong note. I'm just in that zone, you know? Right, right. And when that happens, it, it is magic. And those are the most uh, memorable for me. You know, you know it's interesting because I've spoken to other people. Um, got a guy named Vito uh, from our church. He used to play with Gregory Hines' dad. It was like Hines, Hines, and dad, okay? And Vito was like you, 15 years old playing in Harlem with these guys. He was a phenomenal drummer and he got to the crossroads where he had married children and he had, he had to make a decision, you know, do I do the nightlife thing, which can be a very dangerous, you know, road to go uh, or uh, get the day job. And um, he chose the family and, and what he could do with that. Uh, but he used to commute in from Babylon into Manhattan, you know, at 15 to, to play in Harlem. I thought, and this is just a right, he's the most humble guy in the world. Cause he used to come up when we played in the church band and give us some tips. And I, you know, when I got to talk to him on the side, I'm like, Oh my God, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And it was, it was just the coolest thing. But you said you give lessons now as well. You, you train other drummers and. I, I teach drummers bassist. Um, I taught at a school for a while where I was sort of the utility guy. I mean, teaching piano in this room and voice in that room. And I, I like that as well. I really do enjoy teaching. I, when somebody's really into it and, um, you know, because they're learning something new every time, every, every lesson's a revelation. Mm. And that's a big kick. I really do uh, enjoy doing that. Now, I don't do as much as uh, you would interview Joe Pickett. He's a piano teachers have thousands of students. <laughs> piano right. for some reason is the most popular to teach on, but um I teach voice. I don't love teaching voice, uh, oddly enough, because I feel the voice is just a very uh, individual, distinctive thing. And after you learn a few things about how to sing properly, lessons over. Just go out and sing. I know. I know. My wife keeps reminding me to take that money that she gave me for those lessons, and uh, <laughs> I try. I try. I try to find the note when I start the song. I really do. Eventually, I do get to it. You know, and I just hope I'm in a choral group where other people can find it before me and then I could tag it, <laughs> I, I could tag along. Hey, let's talk about the next song that that were uh, that you brought to the table for us. And we, I, I really like to jump into that. Um, which one is this? That Angelie. Angelie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Angelie, it's uh, it's actually got a, a sort of a renaissance uh, choral uh, progression to it. And um yeah, I, I like this one. I think that um, lyrically, there, there was inspiration. I was coming out of a uh, bad relationship. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that is the great thing about music. You can sort of, you could get your thoughts out there. But it's funny because I, I tell this to songwriters very often. You've heard the expression, you write about what you know. Mm -hmm. And I would tell people, don't do that. <laughs> Meaning that don't do it to the point where you're just writing about a personal perspective it's got to be something that a listener can relate to right because you're coming from where you you know your personal thing but it can't be i did this and i did that and this happened and you know you don't know what i'm talking about so um i um yeah there's one of the lines in this song um there comes a time when we all have to pay for all the things we didn't want anyway mm -hmm. i think people go through that they, they chase after something to find out that why did i just spend all my time and effort on that yeah it's, it's almost along those lines uh you know the best prayers are the unanswered prayers sometimes yeah, right yeah. you know it's, it's similar lines and interesting you say that because it's also i've spoken to other people yeah when they moved out of quote writing in the first person and studying other things and you know creating a scene that is not very familiar but relatable that it's a new bridge to cross and it, 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 you know, it, it's it's a tough call because you're in the eye of the hurricane. You know, Paul Simon had said that you really have to dig deep, but then you're sort of on the borderline of being profound or embarrassing yourself. Mm. <laughs> um, there was one line I wrote in the song was very, very personal, I, um, where I said, um, 
I remember the way you looked at me. Your smile would make my day. And now I see the way you're looking at him in exactly the same way. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was very personal, but I bet you, but you reacted. You know what that would be oh, like. Oh, yeah, I know. It's and like and it. that's kind of the, the idea. You want to say something that like, I got this, but the person listening to it would be like, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. Yeah, and that that could take us to other places and uh, good or bad. But but you know what? The, uh, what that's I art. <laughs> that's art. And you know what's nice about that is, wow, somebody else feels the same way and they were able to articulate Exactly. Something that I might not be able to articulate. Uh, and, and it's nice having that connection. Uh, but also, as an artist, you're putting your head on the chopping block. Because some people might say, that sucks. And you're like, well, that's, you don't like it, you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know what? It takes thick skin, but that's the way to be. Otherwise, you know, you you wouldn't let us peer into your soul a little bit. And, it, yeah, and- it's always a tough call because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody was, um, there are a lot of people in the industry, I'll say this, this may sound uh, cynical, who think like, oh, it's all luck and it's all connections. And, and it's, you know, and that's true to a big point. But there are a lot of people out there making music who aren't very good. And <laughs> you know, maybe that's the reason why I didn't make it. <laughs> so I question that with myself sometimes, like, what am I missing? What, what am I lacking? And uh, so that, that's ongoing. That's just one of those things that you always have to question yourself. If you're not questioning yourself, you're really not. Right. Yourself. If you're not questioning yourself, you're dialing it in. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you, and you can't be in that position. So on that upbeat note, <laughs> we're going to uh, take a listen to Angela. Check it out. Another night. Another day, another chance to find a way that'll make me stop and realize the truth was there behind your eyes. You and me, we used to be something that came so easily. It was lost so fast in the blink of an eye, but somehow it was no surprise.
We're back with Nelson Montana. Beautiful song. Thank you for sharing that with us to exposing a bit of your soul to us. And uh, uh, I think uh, our audience is, is they're going to appreciate it. We're going to get some really good comments on it. Um, Nelson, you have, and I, I referred to this earlier, you have a really amazing career. You look very settled in yourself. In, in, and I mean this in the most complimentary way. It's good to um, have a great conversation with somebody I just met. Uh, during a podcast. So I really enjoyed our time together. I look forward. I'd love to have you back. There's there's so much to explore. I maybe next time we'll get more into the, the music business, how it's changed and, and, and what you're doing in the music business now. I think um, it's, it's an, it's an interesting time. And uh, when you're around, when I'm around creative people, I always have a great time and and I thank you for that. So. um, Oh, you're very welcome. It was fun. All right. So until next time, and I end my podcast this way, a friend of mine told me we can account for what's in our banks and what we own. can never account for how much time we have left. So Nelson, when you gave me uh, time tonight, uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Same here, Steve. Thank you. All right. Be well, brother. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631 800 Again, thanks so much. Be well.